Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute, where social justice, human development, and community building come together. This is where you will meet activists, artists, teachers, scholars, helpers, and healers who are bringing creativity, hope, and possibility to individuals and communities all over the world. Welcome to the special supplementary episode of All Power to the Developing, in which we share a conversation among early participants and the Let's Talk About It program at Erasmus Hall High School in Flatbush, Brooklyn. Let's Talk About It was a drop-in social therapeutic group led by Barbara Silverman that was held every day at school between the mid to 1990s and the mid 2000s. What you're about to hear is a slightly edited conversation that was meant to be a preliminary exploration in preparation for the Let's Talk About It episode. These participants were not able to make it to the formal recording of the episode, however, We think that the conversation they had was so intimate, informative, and insightful that we want to share with you. The voices you are about to hear are Barbara Silverman, Patricia Banditi, Marcus Barton, Chris Allen, Caprice Lindsay, Fabiola Desmont, and myself, Desiree Wanden, all alumni from Let's Talk About It. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation Thank you very much for listening to All Power to the Developing. It's about seeing Barbara the first time, um, who you were at that point, and then maybe um, after leaving Let's Talk About It, what are some things that you took with you from Let's Talk About It that went on to help you develop in life or you felt um, aided in your development in life? Mm-hmm. I can start because I recently, so for my doctoral program, I'm writing my research and thesis is going to be on collective parenting. Wow. <laughs> so sort of the idea of going back to what I'm calling, going back to um, it takes a village to raise a child and kind of thinking about creating your own community around your children and having them have access to folks who are beyond, I, like, I'm not enough. My husband, like, we're not enough as parents. There's no way we could be. And that recognizing that children need access to other human beings, other folks that offer them different things than we can. So my research career-wise, I think it's going to be looking at sort of this return to collectivism and community building. And there's no way, you know, I think sometimes life is serendipitously things happen. I, I remember... I was on a conference all day last three days last week and we were doing something and I was like, you know, we're talking about where we were at in life. And I was like, you know, I initially wanted to be a fashion designer. That was my dream was to be a fashion designer and mm-hmm. it never happened. But <laughs> I'm, I'm a therapist. I'm a group psychotherapist. I do trauma work. I'm in the mental health world. I'm like, how did I in there? And I think, now that I think I know my, my involvement, my access to, my exposure to, um, and let's talk about it. And can people go on mute if you're not talking? Because we're hearing a lot of background. I'm not sure where it's coming from. Just so for me, let's talk about it. Um, really shape where I am career-wise, and where also like sort of the projection of where I see myself going, and really bringing. Let's talk about it as an idea, as a intervention, sort of both in particularly for me as a parent, because that's sort of like thinking about entering it that way. But in my work is 
and, and my therapist reminded me recently that I've always been a collective. Like I've always been someone who thinks in groups. And that was interesting because I've never thought that. I thought this is a new thing for me. And he's known me a long time because um, I wasn't sure of this whole thesis is like, or research is where I should go. And I, you know, every day I'm like leaving the doctoral program. I'm like, this shit is expensive. I don't need this shit. I got kids and blah, blah, blah. But he reminded me, he says, Fabi, as long as I've known you, you've always been a collective. You think in collective, you think in groups. So it's no surprise. So for me, let's talk about it was the first sort of, I think it was like the first sort of um, playground for play. Like, right. You know, we have fancy, I have fancy words now, like emotional play. Like it was the first place in my life. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was born in Haiti. I came here. My parents were very <coughs> about whiteness and West, you know, Western culture. So there was a lot of keeping me Haitian while I was evolving, adapting to this American urban life. And I was like, fucking confused. I was like, wait, they're telling me like I had 10 minutes to walk from Erasmus to home and it's going to take me, you know, like. So all of those factors push me to finding and discovering, let's talk about it. But it really is a discovery of myself, I think, in hindsight, in terms of who I was. I didn't know at the time, but who I am as a person and becoming. I don't, I, I like being alone, but I, I like doing things with others as a preference. And, um, and we, Smith and I, we really do, work from this place of collectivism with our boards. Like we let, like they have people we've identified, like this is someone who can provide this emotionality or this thing for them. Like, so they, you know, they know there's like, there's like a circle of people around them that goes beyond me. And for me, let's talk about it. Helped me see me beyond me. Um, it helped me connect to others. I don't, I don't remember when I met Barbara or how, it might have been when Gabby got pregnant, Gabby, um, and I came down with her because she came to see Kim, but then Kim referred her to you. And we were like two peas in a pod. So in a pod. So like we we were in a so she was like, you're coming with me, bitch. Like, I don't, you know, so and, and she ended up leaving the school and I stayed on. But that was a collective, like just her decision around what she was going to do at 15 as a teen mom. Like she didn't make that decision alone she made it with her friends and with barbs and kim and so <laughs> i've always been i don't remember the whole details but i remember i was like shit like what's my mom gonna think because she had said to me and i'll never forget this don't bring the social don't ever let a social worker come to my house because that was the fear for immigrant parents like you know you're gonna bring a white social worker to the house and the fear of that um deportation you know acs but I became the social worker. <laughs> I never brought a social worker home, but I became the fucking social worker. So that's my story, Bez. I don't know if I answered all the questions. Thank you for sharing, though. Thank you. So I, um, so when I, I feel like walking into Let's Talk About It and like looking at my life now, I feel like, I'm able to see it in so much different perspectives now because I went into Let's Talk About It, not necessarily, I don't even remember the exact reason why I went into Let's Talk About It or how I met Barbara, but it wasn't a need to um, like unload emotionally. It wasn't like I was going through something that I'm like, I need to speak to someone. It was more of, 
I cannot be at lunch and be here and just talk craziness and be with my friends. And I didn't understand how important that is then. And shortly after I did realize how important it is. And now that I have a daughter, I realize how important it is to have people not try to, uh, adults not try to control your life, but help you work through it and let you organically let go or let out some of your own personal things, whether you, we looked at it as it was something serious. Um, Cause we were just talking, we we're kids. We didn't have like no really, no real direction. We just wanted to, you know, talk with our friends, but to be able to do that in a way that we felt comfortable and then still had people that were able to help us guide through different things was, was what was happening. And I didn't know that that was happening. And, and now looking at it as being a parent and having a little girl in Erasmus that is very popular, like I was and have to navigate friends and like the education system and all these things. And I'm also a parent that everyone talks to, all the kids talk to, and this is forever. All kids always come talk to me, unload on me emotionally, whenever they don't want to speak to their parents or whatever. And I realized that I know how to deal with this because of let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it allowed me to hear them mm -hmm. for who they are, for what they were trying to tell me and not only see what my adult mind wanted me to see of them. I allowed them to tell me who they are and help me to understand who they are. And it allowed me to understand that I have to grow with them because they are growing. Mm -hmm. And I, before, like maybe in a place in my life, like after, after Erasmus, after let's talk about it, I didn't understand that that's what I learned from let's talk about it is to allow people to be who they are, allow people to grow into who they are, you know, and how hard it is to allow people to grow into who they are. Yeah. and having a daughter and you know having to take care of your kids and other other kids around you, like Fabi was saying collectively you know you're, you're kind of like this is not right you should do this this way and that way and that's how our parents looked at us and that's why it was kind of familiar to be in let's talk about it because you wanted to stay far away from the people the parents that were parenting you and that were telling you that this is what you have to do and this is what life is about and that's why we kind of navigated so much to let's talk about it because that was the only time we were free to be who we were or who we thought yeah. we were be comfortable in that moment and then yeah. after a while not even realizing that you're evolving into who you thought you might want to be or whatever you could have been a foundation was left dormant in you that you didn't know about and as Fabi was saying, and I'm saying now, it's yeah. like, I didn't realize that this full circle coming back to mental health was a dormant thought from let's talk about it. And what I, you yeah. know, my, like I didn't realize that, that was where my steps were going. Even when I tried, you know, a lot of different things, I didn't realize because I, I, like I told um, Barb's, I did try to do, you know, the social work and I did try to, you know, I did with the, the chair, um, you know, like with the the young people or whatever. And it's like, I didn't want to work from behind. I didn't want to work from after they got in all these problems. I didn't want to have to like pick up the pieces after. And it made, it drained yeah. me emotionally. It made me feel like 
this is not where I'm supposed to be in this placement of people's lives. And I realized that it made me overwhelmingly sad because it didn't, it, the feeling that I got from that wasn't the feeling that I was looking for from what I got from Let's Talk About It. And I didn't realize that until now in my life. And I realized that's what I was searching for. Cause I know in my heart, I always wanted to work with adolescents. I know that's why communication wise, you know, young people always gravitated to me, but I didn't know in a which spec, you know, which spectrum of that I should be, you know, because I know I wanted to be there, but I wasn't sure where exactly I wanted to be. And then now I realized I know exactly where I want to be. And it was basically where I started from because I liked how that felt because it felt like, it felt like, um, it wasn't the end of their road. And I think a lot of young people in the early part, they feel like they messed up and it's like the end of their road and everything else is down and mm -hmm. they don't have anyone to be there for them in any kind of way. And um, I, I just didn't want to be at the end of that. I wanted to be there, you know, kind of, yeah, there's more for you in mm -hmm. not a downward way. So I think that's yeah. what let's talk about it. That's what I implement, you know, with my daughter. You know, it's not perfect and we all, we can't fix people, but I wanted, I realized mm -hmm. that I wanted to be present along the way with her and with all the other young people way that, where they were, mm -hmm. you know, and where they want to be kind of, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I answered everything. I was. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't know exactly when I met Barbara either. I know when I got into the group, my initial thought process was to have a place to cut class mm -hmm. like you and everybody place, else you and yeah, everybody else a, at that time yeah <laughs> it was just a place where I felt safe where I could sit for three periods and not say nothing in the back and the kids that have the real issues or whatever at the time or who was emotionally opening up I could sit there and observe and Barb, Barb just got a way where she talks to somebody else and look at you <laughs> and you feel like she's talking to you in some sense. And she got a way to pull you into a conversation without you even really realizing it, you know? Yeah. So she got like a way to draw you in, you know, without you even realizing it. And to touch on certain things like what Gabby and Capri said, like I'm of Caribbean descent too, I'm Jamaican. I'm the youngest of seven children. And, you know, the, the West Indian way of being raised is a real strict way. You know, you, you don't really have a voice in the family and especially being the youngest, I definitely didn't have a voice. Let's talk about it was the first place where I actually felt heard I was heard you know and it allowed me to develop a personality or um I don't know like I didn't know who I was I was always pretending to be somebody like I, I grew up in a you know a tough neighborhood and tough projects so you know you got the fake tough guy that you have to be when you out there you know you know, like one of my best friends was gay and I couldn't 
disclose that to the other guys. Like, you know, I hang out with the gay guy, you know, and I've seen how he was treated. And like I said, I just didn't have a voice and Barb helped me develop that. And then I took that into my adult um, life and, you know, like with my wife, you know, people say, oh, you know, happy wife, happy life. I say happy spouse, happy house. You know, we both got to be happy. You know, it can't just be about her, but it can't be about me. I've become self-aware. So I'm very aware of what I do to affect another person. Being in the group, I guess, I didn't know. I probably developed that, you know, walk around eggshell things. You hear certain things in the group. And as a kid is like to be put in a position to hold secrets for, for people that you don't know. You feel like you don't owe anything to, but you don't want to let nobody down either, you know? And the whole snitching thing in the hood, you know, that ain't good. So, <laughs> you know, so that's what I got from the group and, you know, a voice. That's what I felt like I, I developed there. I had people that would listen to me and I wasn't saying anything. I was never constructive. Like, thank God all my friends that I hung out with that I felt like I was in charge of, we all made it out. You know, most of us are married. You know, it's a couple of slip ups, you know, a couple of guys that got locked up. You know, thank God nobody died. You know, I haven't had to deal with certain things and, you know, I'm blessed and like my, my, it just feels like everything came full circle and it all started, like really it all started with Let's Talk About It. Like the same guys from Let's Talk About It that I hung out with Naira on, you know, Antoine, like we still in contact, you know, when we can, we get together. And I got together more with Naira than Antoine right now. Um, and I hope I answered whatever the question was, because I think I'm rambling now. <laughs> you did. <laughs> um, I guess I'll go next. Um, for me, I, I remember how I met Barbara. Um <laughs> 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 I actually came down the second time. The first time I was uh, forced to come down um, because I was in an altercation. And um, that was kind of like part of <laughs> my probation. And <laughs> 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 I guess ascended was to go downstairs and um, do it. At the time, yes, you guys were in the back and with the whole dance thing. And I walked in and Barbara keep asking me, you know, to join in the conversation. I'm like, nah, I don't feel like talking. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and the second time around, you guys were no longer on the in the basement. You were upstairs. Mm -hmm. And I came in with my then, well, she's still my best friend, but my late best friend, Lisa, who um, recently passed. Uh, she convinced me to come down. She was like, yes. oh, this is a little program. You know, we could spend our time there for lunch. We ain't got to go. Because every time I go to lunch, I'm in a fight. So she's like, please, let's not go to lunch today. <laughs> you know, I don't really want to fight. I'm like, you never fight. <laughs> I'm fighting. You're watching and screaming. <laughs> okay. Um, 
But she convinced me that day to go in. And when I came in, I was like, oh, this place. <laughs> Here's Barbara. Welcome. <laughs> I'm like this little old lady right here, white lady telling me welcome, whatever. And she's like, um, would you like to come in? And I remember seeing Kim and I knew what Kim was giving out condoms. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna go see Kim. I came to see Kim. She was like, well, when you finish with Kim, you know, feel free to come into the back, you know? It's a nice discussion going on back there. And I'm like, white people always wanna talk. They always wanna hold a conversation. Always wanna talk about your feelings. Y'all don't wanna talk about my damn feelings. I want some condoms. <laughs> That's what I came in here for. Spoke to Kim. Kim was cool. We're still cool to this day. Thank God for that, that union too. Um, she hands me the condoms and gives me the lecture, you know, about how to use them and so, so forth. Hey, Chris. <laughs> and um, then Lisa's like, okay, we're going to go to the back, right? And I'm like, oh, fuck. All right, fine. Hey, Again, Chris. And everybody back there is like having such a deep conversation. Ow! It's lit back there. I'm like, oh, okay. What are we discussing? She's like, welcome. Barbara was sitting on the back wall, you know, when the door opens. Like she's sitting in the cut. Um, Brandon was sitting on the the uh, radiator. Caprice and um, I think it was her best friend at the time. I don't remember who he was with Caprice, but it was a girl that he was always hanging with. Um, and then, yeah, it was like mad people's in the back, but those are the faces mad I remember. Because <laughs> they were trying to engage me into conversation again. I'm sitting in the back like this. What's your name? Patricia. <laughs> that was it <laughs> for like a whole I think it was like maybe a month straight and then Barbara called me into her office and was like hi I know you know you like coming here and I don't have a problem with you coming <laughs> remember B I don't have but I you know you have to participate we want to get to know you at that point I kind of made friends with some of the people in there and I heard their stories so I'm, I'm laughing on the inside I'm like all right I'll go into it. I go back there and I remember this was the first time that I told people that my mom was crazy because um, I was dealing with it. And I, I guess at that moment, I couldn't take it no more. It was like, my mom's in the G building. I'm left in a house alone. I don't have any money. <laughs> I ain't got time for ACS. You want to know about me? Here it is. That was it. And I remember the room getting very quiet. And nobody said anything after that. They tried to change the conversation, you know. But I made it very awkward. <laughs> I remember that part. It was like, how do you fix something like that? Like, what do you tell her? Um, but I do remember that it did change around. And we went from the awkward moment to the comfortable moment. And then B and um, Kim did something that, you know, I wasn't really trustworthy of white people, even though my uncle's Italian, <laughs> you know. It's anybody that's not in my family. I don't know you. My mom said, you know, white, white folks don't call the cops on you. You know, they're going to take you away. And so after the group was done, um, B and Kim called me into that little room right behind um, uh, the door. And they handed me 50 bucks. And I remember thinking to myself, huh? <laughs> I was so confused. Puzzled, perplexed, really, just like at the situation. Like, here's two people who don't know me from Adam. I was rude. Every time they asked me to talk, I was 
defiant to say the least. That's a nice word I could use, you know? But in that moment, I let my guard down and it felt like as if the world was lifted off my shoulder. And moving forward, they reminded me that I mattered. I think that was the thing for me. Like my dreams, my personality, my um, feelings, that was it. My feelings were valid because I was dealing with a lot and me being so violent and lashing out, that's the trauma that I'm boiled over with. And being an adult in this population where um, people are extremely sensitive about their sexuality, you know, uh, their color, having to be told how to manage their lives or have to take medications and have to deal with that. And they're dealing with mental health as well. That, I think we all use that word full circle, actually came full circle for me because I deal with the mental health in a more understanding, in one as a personal, because of my mom's relationship and as a professional, because of what I was taught at a very young age. Most recently, I even told Barbara, on Thursday, um, my client was tasered in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I broke down because for a moment, it, it was um, something out of my hands, you know? And I remember that life is a performance. And even though I'm dealing, <laughs> you remember Marcus, right? performance even though i'm dealing with that impact at that moment it is it's it doesn't stop me from doing what i have to do i have to push past that and because of it i lost my mom last year i was in a shelter last year i went through a divorce um i was assaulted like i went through some shit last year and no one would know because my performance game was on top notch. I'm talking about Oscar winning. How you doing? You understand? Mm-hmm. And I didn't give up. I used that same ability, that same voice that reminded me that I can do anything. I just have to keep going. Yeah. Life still goes on. Days still move. Yes, your emotions, your, your feelings are valid at the moment. But what are you choosing to do with it? You have a choice. That's what we yeah. all forget in life, that we have a choice. You can choose the end of the stick that, that weighs you down, that keeps your mind in a, a state of com, com, um, complacent, complacency, or yeah. you're going to use that to fuel you, to motivate you. I chose motivation. I'm so glad I chose motivation. I've always chosen yeah. motivation. Thank God. Right? And it's that same motivation that fuels my children because I have a daughter that refuses to quit. Like, even though I I have conversations with her, like, you know, yeah, I want you to be the best that you can be, but don't push yourself to where, you know, failure breaks you. Like when you fall off that pedestal, you're gone. And then I have sons who are not on her level. 
they have to be at their own level and they have to understand that as long as you're trying. My, my, my method in this house is you got to try. Not trying and giving up. That's where I have a problem. That's when mm. them elbows do and catch them in hand. <laughs> but when you try and you put your good foot forward, then uh, I understand that, you know, you understand the value in your self-worth. Yes. And I'm so thankful for that. I hope I answered that question. I don't know why I rambled on, but here, here you go. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, Chris, thank you for, for joining us. Um, we're just going around and speaking a little bit about how we discovered Let's Talk About It and what are some of the things that you took with you from Let's Talk About It into your life um, as you moved on. Mm-hmm. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. That's what's up. What's good, y'all? How you doing? Uh, <laughs> and also, Chris, before you get into that, just introduce yourself a, a little bit because I think some of these are your peers, but um, I didn't get a chance to meet you at in that year. So a little bit oh, of good. who you are and maybe a little bit about what you're doing right now. And okay. Caprice, are you still there? Because this is yeah. Chris on the screen. Yeah, no, I see him. Okay. okay. Well, I ain't want to talk to you either, Caprice. I'm <laughs> 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 <was> weak. <laughs> what up, though? Right, so, um, for everybody, I'm I'm Chris. Uh, let's see. You said just an introduction. I, I am a proud Erasmus Hall graduate. Um, as far as how I found out about, let's talk about it. I, I really don't remember. Um, I do know that um, when I did, I would always come down, and there were there were a bunch of people who were you know creative, and and they actually just started talking about stuff, which was a uh, you know like I like to write a whole lot, and a lot of people in the group I found also um, did a lot of writing. So for me, it was a place that I could go and just sit around and and talk with other creatives you know, like no matter what it was. And it, it just, it gave me a place where I felt welcome, right? Um, I played basketball in Erasmus. So most of the things that people would talk to me about were always related to sports, right? And I hated that because I, I like doing so much more. I like to write, I love poetry. You know, I, I still love music and writing to this day. So as far as what I took away from that, um, it really did help me to be able to, to be more expressive unapologetically in what I do today. Um, as far as what I do, I'm a full-time musician and um, I also curate uh, music and in spaces that are adjacent to nerds and nerds of color and things of that nature. So um, I do a lot of conventions and things of that nature. So if you've ever heard of like, um, you know, like a Comic-Con or, or like they just had a New York uh, Anime NYC or, or like Blurred Con. I'm the music director for Blurred Con, for example. Um, and I've awesome. been building spaces uh, for people of color in, in these types of spaces for over a decade. Um, you know, and it's been really hard. It's, it's been a lot of like people gaslighting and telling me that my experience isn't what I'm telling you it is. Um, and, and that part of everything has, has been a lot, but it also makes me realize, right? That no matter hard, how hard the struggle is, it's, 
it's super important to do the work for the people that come after us, even if we don't necessarily reap the benefits of the work we do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I'm lucky enough to see some of the, the repercussions of some of this work. I've been lucky enough to meet other people in this space, you know, like as in the comic books and video games and, you know, things of that nature and anime and, and wow, like there were people who were cool with that. Like I also got beat up and in the fights over things of that nature. Cause I was a huge nerd and um, you know, when you want to be a pacifist, you you don't always get the ability to be a pacifist. You know, it's it's more like mm-hmm. not everybody looks at it and says, okay, well, you know, this this dude is like this. It's depending on where you're from. You know, like I'm I'm not from the greatest of neighborhoods, so it it was a whole lot. But to to be around more people that were accepting of the fact that I like comic books and and you know, like even though I might dribble a basketball a little bit that wasn't what defined who I was. And, you know, just people who acknowledge Chris to be Chris. Um, you know, Barbara, you guys really did that for me. And, you know, I, I'm really appreciate like Caprice, like I remember we just used to talk about all types of stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I really love y'all for that. Mm-hmm. So now in my life, right, I'm able to not only I guess, put that out into the world. I'm, I'm also able to see it in others. I'm able to help other people that, um, that might have those experiences or, you know, like, because that was the thing, right? Like when I went out and I went to college and I did all of these other things, it was kind of like, it was easier for me to spot people, you know, who might not be so open to having those conversations, right? Even in, in Erasmus, uh, there was a kid, man, I used to kick it with all the time. And the kids used to make fun of him and call him like a, a serial bomber or something like that. His name was Sifa, right? Sifa. Yeah, you know, like, and Sifa was a quiet dude for the most part. But, um, you know, like, I would get around Sifa and we would talk art and we would draw and we would talk about all types of things. But he wasn't a super, like, all-in-your-face dude, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it was because of, of being around people who were like Sifa was I able to see different things in people like Sifa, right? I was able to spot when I would go to a place like, oh, well, that dude is over there in the corner by himself, right? And he may not talk to everybody here and he sits here every day, but I was able to spot stuff like that a lot easier to where, you know, like a lot of my friends were nerds. A lot of my friends were, you know, they weren't the outgoers. And and even though I was a popular athlete, you know, like it was real cool to be able to have something in common and to just simply be accepted by people who looked at me as more than. So I guess I feel like I'm talking. Um, let's talk about it. So, you know, um, I was in the Erasmus lunchroom, the jungle, everything. <laughs> you can't hear nothing, can't hear yourself speak. You can't, things flying around. You never know what's gonna happen. And, um, at that point, I used to go to lunch with a lot of friends, about 10 or 11 guys. We used to be in a group together and sit together. And one day we were approached by, I believe, Benna and Jamie about yeah. a program to come to. So we looked at the flyer. We said, hey, beats this. So we went um, to the room. But when you go inside the room, you see all your 
other peers that you don't usually speak to and you think this guy's the athlete, some similar to what Chris said, you think this guy's the athlete and this is the popular girl and this is that. And now they're all here. And it was a little nerve wracking because I remember not speaking a little bit, but then there was this one day where the conversation was something I felt like I could contribute to. And then from there, it just kind of took off. Um, and I think one of the two things, one of the main things that was always a subject around myself, and let's talk about it, that's still an ongoing thing in my life is leadership. How do I perform as a great leader? Um, like I said, I had all these friends and I was kind of the assumed leader. And um, there was a lot of decision-making at a young age, you know, even as simple as where we're gonna go after school, what are programs are we gonna join? We all made this as a collective decision. Even a little prior to, let's talk about it. And coming into Let's Talk About It, we took a lot of the tools from Let's Talk About It into our personal friendship. And then I was not doing the best in school at that point, um, cutting a lot of class and, you know, not, not as engaged in Barbara, gave me a opportunity to go somewhere else, do something else. And I think that's another thing. Barbara always, coming from where we come from, we're not kind of taught to think outside the box or that there's maybe another opportunity or there's like, I call it windows, like open the window, open the door, see what's on the other side. And Barbara would always give us the opportunity to slow down, to explore if there's another possibility, if there's another mm -hmm. window, if there's another door that, that we could go into. And um, that's something I always took with me into my life as I began to perform and dance myself and leave that school and go on to another alternative school and then go on to perform and be a teaching artist myself and work with you for several years. I took a lot of those tools that um, I got from us talk about it in those arenas. And uh, Barbara turned out to be a neighborhood neighbor and we would see each other periodically and she would always keep me posted on what's going on. And similar to what everyone else here has said about coming full circle, I'm now working with the Eastside Institute and it's like things have come full circle for myself. Chris, I liked you, I was making tea, but I was hearing you and I, um... You know, it was interesting. I was just sort of taken by, and I don't think we knew each other. I was like early, early on, but I, I was just taken back by your comment about sort of like an ability to now sort of see people differently in groups, right? Like you mm -hmm. can see the person who sits alone or who seems in, and I think that's happened for me too, where like the experience at let's talk about it is sort of, you know, this idea of participation, I'm beginning to think about it differently. Like, you know, we think of participation being an active, like you gotta be talking. But I remember like all the times where I would just sit back and listen as a part, as a way of participating. Mm -hmm. And what that allowed me is to really scan the room, is to really kind of feel things differently, sense things differently. And I think it speaks to what you had just shared, like this sort of like, ability you don't know you have that you begin to see people differently in groups in crowds like when you walk into a room like I can I can one participate without talking and still be sort of present but also I can I can participate by noticing or seeing who who seems sort of left behind 
in what's happening in this space? Who needs that sort of thing or a push or that companionship in a way that I don't know that I'm too selfish and too sort of like self-centered and too attention seeking to, to notice that. And I think it's been a balance in kind of figuring that out. And I think even with my kids, like I'm, I can pick up on those sort of nuances of sort of shift of emotionality that one is almost, it's almost like, I don't know if this is what you've experienced. Like you go somewhere and you can almost see or feel someone thinking about how can I come in? Like, how do I come into this space? How do I join this space? Because that happened all the time. And let's talk about it where a lot of us were like sort of stuck with, is this, is this the part of the conversation I come in and how do I come in? And that became an exploration. And, and it certainly isn't because I teach for a living too, is, or is part mm. of, I, I know I do a lot, I hustle, right? I do a lot of things for a living, but in teaching, it's come very handy. Like I can be in a classroom and see my students in that way you've described as well. Like kind of like be like, hey, you know, and interestingly, this, you know, in group work, if you study groups, like that's exactly like that's exactly what group work is. And, you know, I teach groups, I train people in groups, I supervise people in groups, all the fancy folks who've written about groups, it's it's that they talk about, you know, sort of who comes in, who gets left out, escape, all these fancy yeah. terms. But it's that I just wanted to say how that um stuck out to me as you were saying that like sort of this it's almost like a a sixth sense almost that you get when you are used to being with people in very sort of connected vulnerable present ways that I think we we don't have a lot of and need more of and um I don't know. I, I it takes it just every time I talk about this themes, these themes, it takes me back again to this idea that I'm playing with of collectivism, right? Like mm-hmm. collective mm-hmm. suffering, collective healing, collective doing, mm-hmm. and there's value in that. I mean, it certainly has had value mm-hmm. for me in my life. Well, mm-hmm. so here, here's the crazy thing, right? Is at that point in time, the thing that happened that I didn't realize is it was kind of teaching me more so to analyze the way that people thought, right? And, um, you know, coming from where I'm from, body language is a big thing, right? I've always been into body language because it saved my life at many an occasion, right? I had to know, like, what somebody's body language meant because people would shoot where I was from a whole lot. Um, But sitting down and like actually getting the opportunity to process a little bit more how people thought, what they thought, what they wanted to talk about, what they didn't, right? Like one of the things that I actually do remember a whole lot is that, Barbara, you made me feel like I could actually talk, right? And and there weren't a lot of teachers in Erasmus, right? Like there, there were some, don't get me wrong, there, there were some, um that didn't actually talk over me right and that it was okay to actually have a conversation whether we agreed on a on a thing or not we could literally talk right and and what i do right now you know like even the writing that i do um i explore a whole lot of emotion 
Um, I, I tend to talk about love and life and things of that nature a whole, whole lot. And I remember, um, so he's not here right now, right? But you remember Brandon, right? Yeah, yeah. Me and Brandon, we ended up in the same, um, in the same class, right? And just being able to explore my emotions and learning to be articulate enough to express them in, in, in a way that I didn't have, you know, prior to a lot of that. Like even down to you, Caprice, like y'all taught me, you and Brandon taught me a lot, you know, like, and I felt okay to express things when I didn't do that a lot prior to. So uh, I'll, you know, I'll relinquish my time, sir. <laughs> Chris, I I remember your poetry. I mean, I, I yeah. you wrote poems and we had them on the wall and we, they were a part. Yes, you know, you would. Yeah, write, like write the. We know. got into that class with Mr. Wax and and right. you know, like my writing at first was like some dirty little secret in the corner. You know, like I didn't let people see what I would write. I didn't like, you know, show it a lot. And it, it just made me so much more confident to actually have feelings and to be like, nah, this is what I think. And this is what I feel. And, you know, whether people liked it or not, it was like, this is where I mentally am. This is what I see. This is what I think. This is how I look at the world. And, and you know, like, that is one of the biggest things that I've taken with me, right? Is like, I, I, I will always be unapologetically me, you know, like for a long time, it was really hard to, mm -hmm. to be unapologetically black, yeah. you know, like to where there were so many things that I would just hold inside and I'd never talk about. And now that's the thing that I feel empowers me the most is the ability to say, hey, I can talk about these things and you can talk about them too. And your, you know, like your point of view matters like where you are in your point of life matters. And it doesn't always have to be roses. You don't always have to turn around and tell everybody that you're having the greatest of times when you're not. You can actually say how you feel. You can express how you feel. And even being, you know, overly, I guess, uh, expressive is not a bad thing, right? It's because everybody expresses themselves differently and, and just, I try to help people understand that about one another, right? Like we we all have different ways that we communicate and that's that's a huge, huge thing. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, so so important where what you're opening up. Thank you for listening to this episode of All Power to Developing. If you're enjoying this episode or enjoying this podcast as a whole, you can write to us and let us know what you think at podcast at eastsideinstitute.org. We would love to read your response after each episode. Thank you very much. And once again, thank you for listening to All Power to Developing. All Power to the Developing has been brought to you in part by the Baylor Wolf Fund.